Welcome to the 411th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Smith Henderson and John Mark Smith, co-authors of the novel Make Them Cry. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guests today are Smith Henderson and John Mark Smith, co-authors of the novel Make Them Cry. Smith and John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Thank thanks. you. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel, Make Them Cry, how would you describe the novel? Oh, man. It's about a... Um, a drug enforcement agent who's gotten herself into a little bit of trouble at work such that she kind of thinks she's going to lose her job probably. Her name's Diane Harbaugh. And when Harbaugh gets a, gets a mysterious call from someone she encountered years ago who is a, now a significant lieutenant in a cartel in Mexico, she goes down there to kind of risk everything and see if she can turn around her career and flip this guy. And what she uncovers when she's down there is a larger conspiracy involving the United States and Mexico and forces that she kind of didn't really count on encountering. And it kind of spins out from there. And so do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Make Them Cry? Yeah, it started years and years ago. We wanted to write a screenplay together, actually. And we had this idea for um, a, like the key, the kind of conceit was like, what if there was a business that sold insurance to like criminal syndicates? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, over the years of developing that as a screenplay. um, Profitable business. Yeah, well, you yeah. Would think there's all sorts of cool complications <laughs> that ensue from uh, entering into those kind of agreements with uh, criminals. So we thought that was a pretty fertile concept. And just we, I don't know, John Mark, what, how did it get into the novel shape? Well, we we had the idea, and we went through many different iterations of that idea. I I don't know how many, but quite a few. And 
we worked on it for years and either never really quite cracked it or it never really quite worked out as a screenplay or as a movie property. And we just decided when Smith sold his first book, Fourth of July Creek, I think in 2013, maybe 2014, 2013, then we decided that we could, that we should take this idea that we had that we'd been working on as a, as a movie and make it into a novel. And once we did that, we were able to simplify things and focus the the focus of the story became Diane Harbaugh before it had been another character and sort of the whole organization just in general, but focusing on Diane Harbaugh as the protagonist. And then like the importance, we have two other pretty important secondary characters who have POVs in the novel. But once we simplified things down, I, I think it became, I don't know, I don't want to say easier to write, but more clear, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Given that you collaborated, as you said, on on screenplays, was the collaboration on writing this novel the same? And and I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Did you get together face to face to to plot it out, and then you chose sections of the book to write, or what was that process like? Um, it, it, a little bit like like what you described and what you'd expect. I think the thing that was unique for us was that we had we'd cut our teeth in creative writing workshops. So we were used to that kind of collaborative spirit of looking at each other's work. And I had just briefly like insinuated myself into his creative writing workshop program. And then when we were, when I was going to a different MFA program, we adapted his book as a feature film while I was there and and made a movie. And so we'd done like a bunch of, a bunch of, we'd already read each other's work and talked about writing and knew each other really well. And so by the time we were getting into opening up a Google Doc and and saying, okay, I'll take this chapter. Why don't you start outlining the one that comes after? We we had a pretty good working pattern. So that really, I don't know, maybe John Mark can talk a little bit about the because I, I remember you talking about our, our approach to prose. I thought you spoke to it better than I do. So one of the things that we wanted to do, one of the main goals is like that we wanted the writing to be seamless so that it didn't, so that no, no one could tell, you know, who wrote what. And in fact, we wanted it to be where neither one of us could tell who wrote what almost that like through the process of doing it, you even forget, you forget the order of what things were done in and it all just becomes about basically the the end result. And so that was our goal and we achieved it in different ways. Sometimes somebody would start a chapter and write, a fair amount of it. And then the other person would go back and revise that, but that didn't happen every single time. There were other times where we would um, do different things, but mostly we started off by, we basically went through every single beat of the book on the front end. And that changed a lot as it does, but that's really what we tried to do was basically come out with a pretty detailed outline of the thing. And then we broke it into chapters and, outlined to the chapters and only then would we start writing. I don't know that if we looked at that original outline, it might not look very much like the final product exactly, but that's the process that we went through. And and I think I read in one of the interviews that I was reading prior to, to this interview that at some point you started over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you uh, laugh. <laughs> yeah. It's if, if, 
with two people, there's distinct advantages, but one of them might not be like quickly pivoting away from a mistake. (laughs) So like we, and the thing was, is it wasn't like we made a mistake. We just really had to go through this process, but the way it all played out was uniquely difficult in the sense that let's say you start writing something and you get a ways into it and you realize oh, it doesn't start here. That's, or even feeling like you have to abandon a project, which happens. It sucks and you go, whatever. But there's two of us. And I, what happened was we had, we'd gone out with a partial of this book and had the outline and we were all teed up to sell it. And our publisher was like, okay. And I just had this feeling that there was something about something just felt off to me and I didn't really know why. And I just kept it to myself for a while. And then finally, one day I just realized, I, I was like, I think I know what it is. I think that we started too late in the book and the stuff that when I reread it, that's it, bothering me is all backstory, all stuff that we're filling in. And I was like, that's a pretty good sign. You're, you want to tell the story that precedes this one. And so I got a hold of John Mark and I was like, tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I think we wrote the second book. I think we started on the second book. And so everything is ready to go ahead. And I just, we got back with our publisher and just said, I think we screwed up. I think we wrote the wrong book. And I think they were, okay, go figure it out. <laughs> they weren't like, they were just like, you write what you want. And if you don't like what you're turning in, then so yeah, they we didn't just pay uh, us though. They didn't. <laughs> it's not like they yeah. gave us any money for that wrong book. It was like, no. come back to us when you have the right book. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they <laughs> well, thought you, we were insane. But it was, do you have the second book teed up and ready to go then? Yeah, it's a lot of the. It's funny because like we're like this morning I was working on it. Yeah, we've got a bunch of stuff that's different. But the it was good to go through the process of develop a lot of. Here's the thing: all that stuff that you think is like a mistake. It's all just, it's all groundwork or background or world building or ballast for, for the, the, the books, the project overall. Nothing's really, it may not, the sentences may not be exactly the same sentences, but the work all counts. Even though it can be disappointing because you don't feel like you're getting to the, getting closer to the, the publication of the thing, you, you are making the work better. And you are building the, the project out in ways that it wants to go. It's you're not told, you're not a hundred percent in charge. Yeah, I would. I totally agree. I would say that this the when we realized that we wrote the wrong book, that was a really good example of like how having a writing partner can be a benefit. In that, I don't think I'm not sure I would have realized that at that point if it were just me. And so I'm really grateful that. Smith realized that although I was not happy about it at the time <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like the best phone call I've ever received it was a little bit of a phone call that's oh someone died and I need to tell you about this person who died but it was right and once you when you realize that this is the correct thing to do you you have to do it but I do think the fact that just having just that he was able to see that I'm really grateful for. He's a, he, Smith is an optimist until he's not. And so (laughs) (laughs) I think that was really an example of that working. And it was like, this is serious. We need to deal with this problem. And so we just need to take some more time. And fortunately it worked out and really the process of these things is very weird. It wouldn't be what you would choose, but it worked out. 
So how did those years writing screenplays impact writing a novel together? Probably the top thing, it would be structure. And because all, all of screenplays is, is a technical document that tells people what, like, what the shape of the story. It's not the thing. I remember our mentor, Stephen Harrigan, like, he had a class, a screenwriting class, and he wrote that on the board. It was like, the screenplay is not the thing. You're trying to clearly tell other people what happens and what the story is. So, it's, so it can't be uh, mistaken. So everybody, so everybody's pointed in the right direction and doing the right, doing the thing that needs to be done to tell the story. And so above all, cause and effect and complications need to be really clear. And it's just narrative structure. And so when you're collaborating on a book together, that that's pretty important too. Otherwise, we'd just be awash in our our favorite kinds of language. And so we really have to nail down what we think the story is. I don't know. Can you think of any other things, John Mark? Yeah, I think that on. That, 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 yeah, that it's the structure of the thing. And the fact, the thing about screenplays that makes them like really interesting as writing, as a piece of writing, is that there's right and wrong answers to things in the way that there isn't necessarily in fiction. And so I do think like that comfort of you've got to get the reader or sort of the watcher of screenplays excited on every single page. I think just like that really is a good tool for fiction writers to get the good stuff down on the page. But also the fact that you're never like when you're writing screenplays, or at least my experience writing screenplays, I don't, I'm not sure if this is totally true for Smith. We, we have written a, a bunch of screenplays together. And then he's also written, he's worked on a TV show and done other stuff um, on his own, but you're always disappointed <laughs> when you're <laughs> writing screenplays. Like you're, it's never like, it's going to be exactly what you want. And no one's ever really happy either with screenplays. Everybody always wants you to to change something or do something different. And I do think being able to live with that and being able to, like, especially this project took over 10 years. So we had to deal with a lot of just like never really having it work out exactly how we wanted to. And I just think that having to live with the sort of... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done disappointment of, oh, we're going to have to wait years after we thought it was done. I think that really, that that practice of disappointment and writing screenplays helped in, in this. I would say one thing I'd add to that, though, too, is I, I don't think we're suffering a lot when we're collaborating in the, in the moment to moment, because it's actually, the, the work is fun. So, you know, you have to pay the bills or take care of your family and do all this, the, that, that stuff that like it, the life stuff and but the the sort of fucking around of figuring out what the story is with your friend is really fun the outcomes can be really disparate and weird but the day-to-day is great yeah i would yeah i would add the just the collaborative aspect of it that is true of lots of there's lots of screenwriting teams and lots of people write screenplays or teleplays in 
even groups even. But that is something that the fact that you can talk out every single little issue with somebody else makes it comforting in a way that like when you're writing a novel on your own, you're just like screaming at yourself in a <laughs> void. <laughs> You know, and it's very, it can be very like existentially troubling. Like, why am I doing this? Who, what are the answers? You have no idea. Whereas at least like when you're working with somebody else, you can say, does this work? Is this stupid? Did, did, what do you think? And having an answer, even if it's, even if it's an answer that changes over time, or even if it's a wrong answer, sometimes the wrong answers are better than nothing. So mm-hmm. I do think that just that, like, being able to like basically volley ideas back and forth. That is something we took from screenwriting and were able to use, I, I think pretty productively as we were writing this novel. Given all of your respective writing experience, fiction, prose, and screenplays, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own novels or screenplays or stories? Oh man, that's a, there's so much. There's so much out there. I don't think one thing. I, there's no right right way to do it or one way up the mountain. Every one of these things is different. I'll, one thing I, I would say is I, I've had things where I sat down and started to write it as write the thing as a short story, let's say, and then I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know, maybe this is maybe this wants to be a novel or maybe this is actually just a screenplay. What's the best version of this thing? And that that what I'm describing right there is can be a really uncomfortable feeling because you're just like, what am I even doing today? And who's the boss here? And getting comfortable with that discomfort and confusion and letting the thing start to tell you what it is and what it wants to be by just working, to me is like one of the tricks, like the big trick. And and towards that, in terms of a tangible, practicable thing that I think people can do, I'm a big believer in picking up on the page first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee before I've read or consumed anything through my eyes and just sat down and started to go to work and see what happens in that sort of dreamy place. And the other thing I would say towards that is like the only rule I really have for how much work I'm going to do every day is I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work for a minute, like literally 60 seconds. And it never is only 60. Well, sometimes maybe it is, but (laughs) most days you get going and you're like, cool, I'm done already. And so having that sort of, that sort of thing where you're really disciplined about certain things like getting up and doing it fresh, but then also very forgiving of yourself. I think it it works pretty well. It doesn't work all the time with every single project. Sometimes you have to sit down and just be like, this thing needs to be done. And I have to write (laughs) five pages a day or 10 pages a day because I'm going to run out of time. But just in terms of engaging with the, the, the task of it, task itself, to me, those are like real basic fundamental things do it first thing and only require yourself like bare minimum i think is a good way that works for me i I agree with those for sure i think that i really think the most important thing is to know what kind of writer you are and what kind of by that like how you work well your best way of working which you won't always be able to do like smith said sometimes you have a deadline and you got to do it really fast and you don't want to do it really fast but i like 
Smith and I both have both basically turned into morning writers and we can't do anything in the afternoon. We can talk, we can actually plot things in the afternoon, but it's really uh, hard for both of us to get like productive writing done. And so I agree, but not everybody's going to be a like first thing in the morning, get down, get on the computer and start writing. So you have to know what kind of writer you are. And I think if you can be honest with yourself about that, that will help a lot. And just, and yeah, don't be too hard. I think you have to be a little bit hard on yourself because if you weren't, then you probably wouldn't do anything. But, but don't be too hard. But I think if you can figure out like what kind of, what kind of writer, you are and what's your what are your best working conditions and then try to achieve those if you can i think that is really maybe close to half the battle really what novels or nonfiction books have you both read recently that you enjoyed oh wow um I get I get lucky where I get sometimes like things a little early and I'm really my Texas writer Stacy Swan has this fantastic family drama that she wrote called Olympus that has all sorts of resonances with Greek myth and stuff that <laughs> is kicking my ass right now I think it's really great I'm trying to think what else Okay, uh, I don't know. Go ahead, John Mark. You probably have a bunch of stuff. Yeah, although it's sometimes, sometimes when I get asked this, it totally slips my mind. Like, <laughs> what, what yeah. I really liked Valeria Luiselli's Lost Children Archive. I read that recently. I thought that was absolutely terrific. I've been reading basically not all, but a, a lot of Elena Ferrante. I just started her new book that came out and I really, really liked that. Yeah. We both of us, Smith and I both love this book by Juan Pablo Villalobos, Down the Rabbit Hole, which yeah. is just, a, I don't even know really how to describe it. It's like a, I don't know. It, it is Alice in Wonderland. It's like Alice in yeah. Wonderland in cartel land, basically. I get Alice in cartel land is what it is and it's it's just like almost if beckett were writing about cartels maybe yeah we both are are i really like the the mexican writer yuri herrera who also is very surrealistic writer just like bill lobos it's it's a really good time great time really for mexican fiction fiction i'm trying to i'm reading room to dream i'm still slowly like reading room to dream that david lynch biographer it's so cool because he writes a chapter the biographer writes a chapter like here's the facts here's what happened and she's a great writer and then he he goes in and writes his own chapter about what happened during that time so (laughs) it's such a cool structure and it's so inspiring actually because he's he's just constantly like making this is good this is a great book for writers to read because he he shows up at the set without being totally sure what the thing is going to be, but absolutely confident that it'll reveal itself. If you get in there and you start painting the sets, the color you want them to be, you're going to see something and you're going to be like, oh, that's right. That's what we're doing today. And the, that, that he has budgets and producers and actors and all these people depending on him to be inspired. And he is constantly performing that. It's pretty pretty remarkable way of approaching the creative life. I couldn't imagine them. I don't think I could do it. That's super high stakes. But if you can be doing that in your own work, in your own practice, where maybe you don't have a whole bunch of people depending on you to figure something out today, and you allow yourself that freedom to, to the book's called Room to Dream. I don't know. I think he's, it's all about creating psychic space. So that book's awesome. Yeah, I second that. It's a terrific book. Great. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, Make Them Cry? I mean, I, 
I'm on Smith. What is it? Dash Henderson. <laughs> I think there's a company called Smith Henderson that makes like <laughs> widgets in the UK or biz- business solutions or something. Yeah. Smith, Smith dash Henderson.com got all my, uh, that's where I post like any things that we've worked on in the last few weeks. We've been, we, we've had the awesome opportunity to start to write things about writing together and so I've been sharing those there. It's been really fun. Uh, yeah, I'm at on Twitter, John Mark Smith. I Great. think searching for that will just will pull up my Twitter page. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Smith Henderson and John Mark Smith, co-authors of the new novel "Make Them Cry." The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Smith and John, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, yeah, it was our pleasure. Great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Make Them Cry by Smith Henderson and John Mark Smith, performed by Sophie Amos, published by Harper Audio, and available wherever audiobooks are sold. Each breath was like ice water falling on hot coals in her throat, cold Michigan air turning to steam. But Diane Harbaugh, didn't stop or slow down. She craved the pain. It was the entire point. The burn toughens you, hardball, she told herself. She grimaced out a grin, remembering the nickname. She had been Diane Hardball as far back as middle school. The track coach called her that. So did the crosstown rivals in high school. The debate team. Even her cohort, 1Ls, at UCLA Law. She liked it. Run, hardball. Run. She pushed on through the grimy snow in the bottoms and frozen marshes. By spring, the flies and mosquitoes would hatch in the millions from these upper peninsula bogs. But now the ice crunched under the pressure of her snowshoes like a saltine. Someone else might have pictured the crust as some sweet confection, a frosting or a sugar cookie. But to hardball, It was salt, a savory. She didn't go for desserts, not really, not even chocolate. Why did men assume women loved chocolate so damn much? We don't, not all of us, not the strong ones. We like to feel the flume of our lungs, too. We like to run up against something. We like good cold air, a good hurt, the tang of salt. She'd been using herself up like this the whole time at the cabin. It was just her and Bronwyn, a true vacation, days of nothing on the schedule. She burst with every step. She couldn't get enough exercise, enough life. The sweat that soaked her thermals, the pride in the pushing through, the pain that made you recede within. And then you almost didn't notice the world out there until this tingling in her spine, a creepy inkling of being observed. Her legs wobbled at this new distraction, and for the first time in an hour, she slowed and clunked to a stop. She couldn't hear over her breathing, or her heartbeat. Her vision wavered as she scanned the tree line. Why would someone be out here in this country? Who'd she expect to step out of these woods? Some dude out on patrol? Someone she mandatory minimumed years ago? Dufresne. This time, it was Dufresne. Not the close-cropped GS-14 in charge of Southwest Task Force of the Los Angeles Division, 
but the bearded long hair he was before. The Dufresne who used to emerge from the shadows outside her Sacramento apartment, who'd come at all hours, whenever he needed a Sacramento County DA willing to file an indictment that the feds wouldn't touch. He'd tap on his horn as she passed. Hey, hardball. When she finally got into Quantico and learned to put her head on a swivel, she always saw him on the bad guy paper targets. That Dufresne. Not that he was a bad guy. Dufresne was a very good guy. Her mentor. She adored him. She just expected him. Even there, somewhere in the woods. She looked at her watch. Three hours she'd been out. Her legs shook. Cold or exhaustion, she couldn't tell and didn't care. Spirit strong, flesh weak. This is the Upper Peninsula, after all. A white wilderness every which way, the odd contrail against the blue. She eyed the timber one more time. The steady thud of her heartbeat emptied out her ears, and she could hear the faint roar of a distant snowmobile. Run, hardball. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.